0: Turn with me uh, to the book of Ephesians and let's go to chapter 6 and we're going to begin in verse 10. And we're going to look at three verses this morning. And the purpose is uh, because it's so important what we're going to see here. Spiritual warfare is a reality and sometimes we don't see it. Because it's not something tangible and Paul's going to let us know that. It's not something we can see. You see, if an enemy's coming towards you, uh, you have you know obviously some decisions to make you can run you can hide or you can gather a weapon yourself or you can confront him or her or forward and take care of business but we're talking about spiritual warfare we're talking about a place that we don't see we don't understand sometimes and if you've been a christian long enough it's part of our regime We are going to go go through spiritual warfare, especially if you draw closer uh, to God. You come to church, you read your Bible, you witness at work, you share with your neighbors. The enemy does not like that. And he will come against you every which way. And we're going to see that in the next couple of weeks. Now let me give you some introduction here because it's important. Paul comes to the conclusion of the book of Ephesians this epistle, because we're in the sixth chapter. Paul dealt with a lot of issues at the church at Ephesus. But I want you to remember something. Paul is in prison himself. He's in a Roman prison. So he understands the spiritual warfare. He's going to speak about putting on the full armor of God. He's looking at a Roman soldier. And he takes that Roman soldier and his basic uniform, and he turns it around. And he uses it for God's glory. But if you know Paul the Apostle, you know the uh, prisons that he was in. Many times he was uh, chased out of cities. Paul knew the spiritual warfare. And so as he comes to this conclusion, let me just kind of go back and reminisce a little bit. Back in chapter 1, Paul wrote concerning spiritual blessings. And here in chapter 6, spiritual warfare. In chapters 2 and 3, Paul wrote concerning the church universal, the body of Christ. Those that are saved by grace are his church. In chapter 4, Paul wrote concerning uh, the oneness of the church. There is one body of Christ, he says. It is called the ecclesia, the called out ones. You see, Paul struggled with an issue at Ephesus. There was Jews, there were Gentiles. And Paul says there's no difference in the body of Christ. Well, for us this morning, there's no difference in denomination or non-denomination. But if you're born again of the Holy Spirit, we all belong to the church, the body of Christ. And so Paul comes to chapters 5 and 6. And Paul wrote concerning our obligations, our responsibilities in Jesus Christ. And so it's beautiful when you see it. Now he comes to this conclusion And he's going to begin here in verse 10. And he deals with spiritual warfare. And he prepares our hearts. If you've been a Christian, as I mentioned, you're going to go through these things. And so we need to know how to combat. How to come against the enemy. How to stand firm on the promises of God. Now I have several commentaries in my library. And I draw from them. I study from them. But there is one particular eight volume commentary that I have. It's by Dr. Martin Lloyd Jones. And that eight volume is just in the book of Ephesians. And there's so much that he deals with. But he comes to this last volume and he deals with spiritual warfare. Here is a man that knew spiritual warfare. But I want to just give you a little bit of his background. You're going to see why. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones was born in Wales. In 1899, he went home to be with the Lord in 1981. He was known as a scholar, a teacher, a preacher, an author. He was the minister of the Westminster Chapel in London, England, for over 30 years. Dr. Lloyd-Jones was brought up uh, in the Calvinistic doctrine. But because of the Welsh revivals, as a young man, God touched his heart. He was never the same after that. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he begins uh, to teach in the area of liberal theology. He was studying to be a a medical doctor, and he completed that. He became a doctor of medicine, but there was such a conviction in his heart. And God did call him to the ministry. And he came and he taught. And he fulfilled his calling. But in 1976, he he wrote this commentary. It's not too long ago in, in our own time. And he spoke about this spiritual warfare. And he gave some insights that were just tremendous. Now, during the time that... Dr. Lloyd-Jones here here, was ministering the liberal theology. They didn't believe in hell. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in the devil. And these were people that called themselves Christians. And so can you imagine what he went through? In the particular time that Dr. Lloyd was uh, ministering there in London... And he was teaching on spiritual warfare. There was the Westminster R.C. Cathedral in London, England. There was a bishop by the name of Butler on a televised program. He calmly said he did not believe in a personal devil, but that he would acknowledge and he would bow to the teachings of his church hierarchy. After that televised airing uh, of openly candid statement uh, by the bishop, 68 academic men uh, in the area claimed to be Anglican Christians, wrote a letter, signed it uh, to the Times News, and stating that they were in agreement with the bishop. And they stated in their letter they not only did not believe in a personal devil, but uh, demons or hell. This is 1976. And so I was thinking about our 21st century today. There are those that don't believe. Now, I don't like to teach on the devil. I don't like to teach on the enemy. I'd rather teach on on Christ. But as we come to uh, the book of Ephesians, Paul comes to this place now. Know your enemy. You have to know your enemy. Anybody that goes out into the battlefield or anybody that goes out to the the gridiron in, in a sport event, you need to know your enemy. You need to know your opponent. How are you going to deal with them? And so this is what Paul is doing here. Now it's interesting that Dr. Lloyd-Jones here in 1976, and here we are, 2007. And I've shared this with you many times. 85% of the United States of America, according to the polls, claim to be Christian. But let me tell you something about that 85%. Many of them, listen, do not believe in the unerrant Word of God. Well, you know, I don't believe in this part. I don't believe in that part. Such as what was going on uh, in 1976. There were those that didn't believe in a devil, those that didn't believe in hell, those that didn't believe in the demonic realm. So in other words, there are those that call themselves Christians, but they'll pick and choose. Well, I believe this, and I don't believe that. The Bible says that you are to believe what it's taught here from Genesis to Revelation. We look at the Old Testament, we're having a blast on Wednesday nights as we've been going through uh, the book of Joshua and now we're in the book of Judges and basically in the Old Testament it's pointing to the cross. Looking for a Messiah. It is so important. So we come to this place concerning spiritual warfare. And he's going to be speaking about putting on the full armor of God. We're going to talk about that next week. So let's go to our text this morning, look at verse 10, and through verse 12, we're just going to read it, and then we're going to go back and expound on it. And so Paul comes to the section of spiritual warfare, and he begins in verse 10, finally, and that's the key word. He says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God, or the full armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Let us say a quick prayer. Father, we ask that you would clear our minds, that you would clear our hearts, that we, we would have open minds to see what the Holy Spirit is teaching us. That we would open up our hearts and that we would receive from your word. That we would tuck away these nuggets of gold in our own hearts, Lord. That we would know and recognize the enemy that we come against in a daily basis for many. And so, Father, speak to us now in Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Look at verse 10 again. The key here, as Paul begins, he's, remember, he's come full circle now. He's taught, uh, he's written this book of, uh, to the Ephesians. From chapter 1 to chapter 6, and in between there, as we mentioned in the introduction, he dealt with various issues. But he comes to verse, verse 10 here. Finally, full circle in a sense. My brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. The word finally is obviously the key to this verse. Paul, as we mentioned in our introduction, had shared with the church at Ephesus and the believers now, as it's been read for the last 1950 years. That we come to this place now. Finally, my brethren, allow me to teach on spiritual warfare. That's what I see Paul saying here. So he encourages the church. And he says, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. I I love what Paul does. He basically takes us out of the equation. And this is what I mean. So many times we want to chase the enemy. So many times we want to chase the devil. And so many times we'll use the personal pronoun, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. And the Bible says, everything should be done in the power of His might. You see, I cannot do anything, and neither can you, without the leading and the power of God's Holy Spirit. Or else the enemy is going to chew you up and spit you out. And you're going to see that as we continue. Be strong in the Lord. Listen to the word strong. Be enabled. Be empowered. And this word enabled, empowered, the word strong, it's drawn from the word dunamis in the Greek. And so this kind of power is supernatural power. It only comes from the power of the Holy Spirit as He falls upon us, as we call upon Him, as we ask Him. He empowers us, He empowers His church. Be empowered in the power of His might. Look at the word power that He uses. You're empowered now, so take dominion. That's the word that He uses for power. Take charge over the situation. You're empowered by God's Spirit take the charge now in his might. Now listen to the word might. In God's ability. If we're dealing with spiritual warfare, it's not me that's going to do the battle. It's the Lord that's going to do the battle in and through me. Now let me give you the best translation that I can derive from as I looked at the Greek words. Finally, be enabled, be empowered, take dominion, take charge, but do it in His ability, not yours. God working in and through me. I was thinking of some of the battles, some of the trials. Back in 1 Samuel chapter 17, a well-known story. We have King David. He's a little boy at this time. He's a shepherd boy. And he goes up against Goliath. We understand that Goliath was at least nine feet tall. Came from the tribe of the Anakins. And they were well known to be that type of height. And David heard him cursing God. And so David went up against him. And if you remember the story, Saul, the king, says, You can't go up there. You're just a little kid. But nobody else wants to go. So he sends him. But he says, Put on my armor. And David says, I'm not going to get anywhere with your armor. I'm too small. That would be like me giving me your shirt, my shirt, and you guys put it on. It's not going to work for you. And so David, this thing was dragging down and dragging him down. And David says, all I need is a slingshot and a couple of stones. And we know the outcome. David took that sling, and in the power of God, he hit Goliath. Right in the forehead. Then he took his sword and he cut his head off. So the battle belongs to the Lord. Remember King Jehoshaphat? He was also doing battle and he looks up and fear sets in. He sees the enemy. And he prays, God, what are we going to do? And the Lord whispers to his heart. And he says, the battle is not yours, Jehoshaphat. But the battle belongs to the Lord. And so that's what we're speaking of here. You see, I cannot do it alone. I will fail alone. I did not save myself. He saved me. I did not empower myself. He empowered me. And so through Christ, we're able to accomplish these things. Now, I want you to turn with me to a passage in the Gospel of John, chapter 15. And look at verses 8, verses 5 through 8. But I love this chapter, and We don't have time to develop all of it this morning, but I want to just draw some nuggets from it. But Jesus is teaching his disciples in this area of the vine and the branches. And he begins in verse 5, and these are the words of Christ. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me you can do nothing. And that's the key. If I'm going to go to battle, I need Christ in my corner. No, I need Christ in me. I need the power of His Spirit. And so it's so easy to try to do it on your own. And so here, He's speaking of, if I abide in Him, He will abide in me. The word to abide is simply translated, if I stay in Him, He will stay in me. He goes on to verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and they throw them into the fire and they are burned. We're worthless. We're nothing. We need Christ. Verse 7 goes on, If you abide in me, my words abide in you, and you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. So I ask for the empowering of the Holy Spirit, the enabling of the Holy Spirit, and I'm able to combat against the enemy as he's working in and through me. And so then he says in verse 8, By this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. The concept of the vine and the branches, that God is in charge, but that he works in and through me. And so Paul is saying, take the charge now. We're not to fear the enemy. The Bible says that perfect love casts out all fear, and that perfect love is Christ. But if I try to come against the enemy on my own actions, I will fail miserably. Listen to this beautiful text now. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. Listen to the simplicity. Paul knew his strength. He knew his strength was in the Lord. He says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Not in Paul's strength, but in Christ's strength in Paul. This verse clarifies everything. In the book of Jude, there's only one chapter. Verse 9. If you recall the story, Michael the archangel, the combatant. Michael's the one that we would see with a sword. There's a strife between Michael and the devil over the body of Moses. This is an archangel. This is an angel with rank, if you may. And he says, Michael the archangel, contending with the devil over the body of Moses, he simply said, the Lord rebuke you the Lord rebuke you you see I've been a Christian long enough and I've been around charismatics and I've been around Pentecostals and I'm not against that but sometimes we can get on our high horse and we think that it's my power I rebuke you in the name of Jesus there's no power in you there's no power in me But only Christ that enables it. That's what verse 10 is all about. So the Lord rebuke you. Imagine Michael the archangel doesn't contend with the enemy. He knows the enemy. But the Lord rebuke you. Now I would venture to say that Michael was there with sword in hand as he always would have because he's the combatant. But he simply says the Lord rebuke you. And Satan had to let go church. It's important that we see this, that the enabling, the empowering, the power of God's Holy Spirit working in and through me, in and through you, that's the authority, that's the power. Now we'll deal more with this next week, but look at verse 11. So Paul says, now you're empowered, now you're enabled, the Holy Spirit's there, you've been praying, you're uh, fasting and such, and, and so you've come against the enemy. And so Paul says, now put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The key is to put on the armor of God. We should not leave our premises in the morning without putting on the armor of God. Lord, put on that armor for me. Lord, I pray for direction this morning. Lord, I pray for protection this morning. Lord, I pray for a hedge of protection. You see that uh, in the book of Job. Lord, I pray for uh, angels with flaming swords all around about me. You see that in the book of Genesis when they guarded uh, the Garden of Eden. And so we need to understand these scriptures. And so the key here is to put on the full armor of God. We'll speak more about that next week, each piece of the armor. But if we have, going back to verse 10, as a reference here for verse 11, if we have the power of His Spirit in and through us, and we have received the outpouring of His Spirit, as we see in Pentecost, in the book of Acts, in chapter 2, Peter was never the same. His first sermon, 3,000 souls. And so we're empowered now. We've asked the Lord to empower us. We have the authority to put on this whole armor of God with anointing of his power. Now, I ask this question, why do I need this? Because next portion of Scripture says, you'll be able now to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. Church, this morning, if you don't know it by now, you need to understand that the devil is crafty, he's clever, he's sneaky, he is the ultimate trickster. And I think sometimes we take him for granted. We don't want to deal with him. I'm in agreement with you. Like I said, I'd rather preach on Christ. I'd rather preach on salvation. I'd rather preach on his love and his grace, his mercy. And it's endless. But we need to know our enemy. So Paul comes to that place. And it's encouraging from his heart to our heart. And so the scripture says, Stand firm against the wiles of the devil. Now, we understand the word stand, but in the Greek, it's what we just read in John 15. It's to abide. And so basically, Jesus is saying, abide, stay in Christ, and he will enable you to withstand the enemy. That God will give you the power of his spirit, the power to stand firm against the wiles of the devil. Now, listen to the word wiles. We see the King James, and sometimes the words are kind of strange. But the Greek word is methodia. Very important because we get our English word methods or method. Vine's Dictionary of Greek Words says this. Now listen to the translation if it's methodia, if it's the word method. The methods of his trickery. This is the enemy. The methods of his craftiness. The methods of his deceit. The methods of his uh, cunning devices. The methods of his errors. So Satan has a lot of tricks in his bag. Satan is wrong and he knows it. But he will do everything in his power. And he will use every trick in his bag of tricks to deceive you. To knock you down. Listen, I learned this years ago. When you came to Saving Grace... And when the power of the Holy Spirit came upon you, you belong to the Lord. You are a purchased possession. But here's the key. Satan knows that he lost a customer. And he's going to do everything in his power to get you back. And trust me, I've seen it for years. He will use even your own family. He will use members of the church. It so easily happens. His methods are various ways. What doesn't work on you, he'll work it on somebody else. What you worked last week, he'll change it this week. I've seen it, church. Now, notice as he says here put on the full armor of God. We're going to deal with that next week. That you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, the tricks, the cunning devices. The deceit of the devil. But who is this devil? Now, if you look at the Greek word here, uh, the word devil is diabolos. And basically, it means two words. Accuser and slanderer. And Satan, that's one of his greatest tools. He is the accuser of the brethren. He's a slanderer, and he will use anybody and anybody. Now, I want you to turn with me to another gospel... Let's go to the Gospel of John, chapter 8, and look at verse 42 with me. Now, let me set this up. Jesus deals with the religious leaders. Now, the religious leaders were the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees. And you see, these men were to lead uh, the people to God. They were to teach the people. But it's interesting to me that Jesus oftentimes called the religious leaders... The Pharisees, the scribes, the Sadducees, he called them hypocrites. They were actors in the Greek. Hypokritos. They represented one thing, but they did another thing. They said this, but they would do this. And so they would turn it around. The religious leaders were all about themselves. And we see some of that even in today's church. We're supposed to teach the, the body of Christ. We're supposed to equip the saints. And so this is what Paul is dealing with here. But listen to the words of Jesus now. In John chapter 8, look at verse 42. Jesus said to, to them, If God were your father, you would, have, would love me, for I came from God, and, not, and, and now am I here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. He says, why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father. Listen to the exhortation to the religious leaders. You belong to your father, the devil. Remember, he's the slanderer. He's the accuser. And you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. You see, that's the enemy. You go back to Genesis chapter 3, and there he began to deceive, and he began to lie, and he began to slander. Eve was caught off guard. Now remember, the serpent was still upright. He was not cursed yet. He was a beautiful creation of God. And so, you know, you think of a, a woman talking to a serpent, but this serpent was beautiful. And he was there to tempt Eve. And not only did he tempt Eve, but he also uh, tempted Adam. But there was dialogue there. And if you remember the story, and you go back and you read the text, uh, Lucifer, the devil, the serpent himself, He gives you half truth and he gives you half lies. That's his tactic. And Eve fell short. And the enemy took charge. He is the accuser of the brethren. Look at verse 45. Yet because I tell the truth, Jesus says, you do not believe me. Can any of you prove me guilty of sin? If I am telling the truth, why don't you believe me? He who belongs uh, to God hears what God says. The reason you do not hear is that you do not belong to God. Radical statement. Now, bottom line, there is no neutral ground. Well, you know, I I, I believe in God. I don't believe in God. I I believe there's a devil. I don't believe there's a devil. You know what? I'm just going to be in the middle of the road. Be careful. Be careful. Either we belong to God or we belong to the enemy, Satan, Lucifer himself. That's cut and dry. We cannot change that unless you come, listen, uh, to the born-again experience. And so imagine Jesus sharing this with the religious leaders. Hey, hey, we're from Abraham's seed. (laughs) We're the chosen generation. And they boasted. And Jesus says to them, He who belongs to God, here's what I have to say. They didn't receive him as Messiah. The reason you do not hear, that you do not belong to God. Their hearts were hardened. The religious leaders then, the religious leaders today. You see, back in Matthew chapter 7, I want you to study that tonight. Jesus says, not all that say, Lord, Lord, are going to enter the kingdom of God. I do not believe that 85% of the United States of America is true Christian. Oh, the polls can say it. But are they born again of the Holy Spirit? Has there been change? Has there been transformation? You see, you cannot call yourself a Christian and then you still do the things of the world. You're still fornicating. You're still committing adultery. You're still cursing. You're still getting drunk. You're still lying. You're still cheating. You're still stealing. I mean, the list goes on. How can you call yourself a Christian? There has to be change. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, Paul says, If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. If any woman is in Christ, she's the new creation. Change happens, church. I know God transformed my life 28 years ago. I know a lot of your testimonies. God transformed your life. There has to be change. Now, that doesn't mean we're sinless. I sin, you sin. But I have an advocate with the Father, a lawyer for my defense. His name is Jesus. And praise God for His grace. But I'm talking about the 85% that say they're Christian. Are they truly born again of the Holy Spirit? So Jesus says, not all that say Lord, Lord are going to enter the kingdom of God. Now, it comes to the conclusion, verse 12, and we still have so much to cover. And so he says, we're going to put on this full armor of God. He says, it's not in my power, but it's in the power of God. He says we'll be able to stand firm uh, against this enemy, this diabolos, this accuser, this slanderer. But then he gives us the insight of our enemy. We have to know our enemy. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. There's the key. Think about the word wrestling. You know, we grapple or we horse around. You know your opponent. You're going to do whatever you can. But he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, before I get into this and to describe it as, as close as possible, I looked at the New Living Translation and the simplicity of the translation. Listen to it. Again, Ephesians 6, verse 12. The Living Translation says, We're not fighting against people made of flesh and blood, but against the evil rulers and the authorities of the unseen world, against those mighty powers of darkness who rule this world, this age, and against the wicked spirits in the heavenly realm. Now, if you've been a Christian long enough, he's obviously speaking of this spiritual warfare. There's spiritual warfare always all around us. I want you to think how many times you're here this morning. But how many times you struggle in the morning just to get to church. I can tell you there's people that usually are here this morning. They're not here. What reasons? I don't know. But the enemy uses different things. All of a sudden you're getting ready to leave in your vehicle and somebody calls. Hi. How you doing? Fine. We thought we'd come and visit you. We're on our way. And we don't have the guts to say, listen, before you continue your journey to my house, we're leaving the church. No, most of you and most of us will say, well, we'll go to church next week. So the enemy won there. He'll use tactics, I'll tell you. You go outside, you're all ready to go to church. You're barely going to make it, and there's a flat tire. You go, well, I have to fix the flat. No, there's another vehicle. I mean, use strategy. See, the enemy wants to keep you away. And so, he's the trickster again. Now, let's begin to look at this. It says in verse 12, For we wrestle not of something tangible. The reason that we need the full armor of God. We're looking at this flesh and blood now. He gives an example. One of my commentaries said, The Israelites, under Joshua and to fight against flesh and blood in order to conquer the land of Canaan. We've been studying the book of Joshua. We just completed that uh, on Wednesday nights. And so Joshua and the children of Israel, they actually had to fight against many different tribes and, and Canaanites and such in order to come into the land of Canaan. But here in verse 12, Ours is a spiritual warfare, a spiritual battle, rather than a physical one. And notice who it's against. Principalities. Now the best translation is angelic rulers. Different ranks are seen among uh, the host's uh, the foes of Satan, that is, uh, the demonic realm, or the fallen angels, it's not possible to make a clear distinction between the various types of foes uh, mentioned here, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, literally, uh, the world rulers of this darkness, against spiritual wickedness, it is against spiritual forces of wickedness, in heavenly places, the heavenly realm. And so basically, what Paul is saying There are different ranks of angels, these fallen angels. We're going to read in just a minute in the book of Revelation in chapter 12, uh, a third of the angels uh, followed Lucifer. And so that's the demonic realm. Lucifer himself, Satan himself, as would be the captain of the ship there. But there are different ranks. Now, here's the best translation. The closer you get to God the more you do for God, the more you witness, the more you read, the more you pray, uh, the more you serve, and the list goes on. Some of you know what I'm talking about. The deeper you get into Christianity, it just seems the more the trials come your way. It seems like I I, I never had trials before I, I came to Christ. Seems like there was not these attacks until I came to Christ. And all of a sudden, I recognize that there's trials, there's tribulations, there's frustrations. Sometimes it's physical. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's emotional. The enemy, and I'm going to say it, never plays fair. You go outside and you set up a game, and let's say it's volleyball, and so you lay the lines, and you put the net, and you have rules and regulations, and the ball goes out of bounds, and you say, ah, you went out of bounds. You don't do that with the enemy. The enemy's going to play his game, his rules. There is no out of bounds. He has one position. He wants to search and destroy. He wants to conquer you. As we said earlier, he lost a customer. He wants you back. And in the years that I've been a Christian, I've seen uh, people that the enemy's broken. They go back to drugs, they go back to alcohol. They go back. We were exhorted yesterday as men of God. The biggest problem in the church is pornography. They said it's about 50%. And so the enemy puts up the websites and we fall trapped to them. We have to be so careful. Now I want you to turn to another passage. Uh, Let's go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And verse 13 through 15. Again, we want to know our enemy, because obviously he's real. But Paul tells us, we're not fighting against flesh and blood, something tangible, something that I can see, something that I can touch. But it's a spiritual battle. It's a demonic realm out there. And be careful, you know, we have this, uh, this mind frame The devil's wearing red pajamas, he's got those horns, he's got a long tail with a sharp end, and he's got a pitchfork. What a deception. No, no, no. When Eve talked to the serpent, she was dialoguing. Ladies, when's the last time you talked to a serpent? I don't think you ever have. I've never talked to a serpent, but this was a creation of God. He was still upright. He was not cursed yet. And so he was beautiful. He probably had a three piece suit on. I shouldn't go that far. But she dialogued with him. And so, can you imagine how much uh, tricks he has in in his bag? And here's a good example 2 Corinthians 11. Look at verse 13. He says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, and here's the key transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. If Satan would have come to Eve in the garden the way he looks, she would have never talked to him. She would have ran scared. But he came with every trick in the book, and he enticed her. Oh, come on. Look at the fruit, man. I know we're all taught that it was an apple, but it doesn't tell you. But it says, look at the fruit. It's good. God did not say, and so she partook of it. No wonder, for Satan himself transforms, metamorphoses himself into an angel of light. And then it says, therefore, it is no great thing of his ministers also, transforming themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. The Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees were supposed to be leading the people to God. They had the Old Testament scriptures. Well, pastors today, ministers today, theologians today are supposed to be doing the same. But sometimes ministry, ministers are so busy lining their own pockets. And I tell you that because I see it. And it should be about God and it should be about God's people. And then we trust God. No wonder, Paul says, for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. One of my commentaries said this there are powers in the unseen world against which we are powerless, except and through Jesus in and through Jesus Christ. You see, verse 10 says, He enables me. Verse 10 says he empowers me. Verse 10 says that God gives me and you the power to stand against the wiles and the schemes of the devil. And so my commentary says here, here are some of your tools. Now, those of you that have been in the military, you know your weapons of warfare. You're trained in certain aspects, the gun, the rifle, the knife. I mean, everything. Think about it. Survival. But now here's the weapons for the Christian, for the believer. And so this commentary that I was reading says, we have the truth. And we're going to see that next week. We have the truth of Christ. We have righteousness. We're born again of the Holy Spirit. We have the peace of God. We have the peace that passes all understanding. We have faith. The Bible says faith that can move mountains. God has saved us. We're sanctified, set apart for the glory of God. God has given us his word. That's another tool. God has given us prayer. God has given us fasting because Jesus said this demons would not come out unless with prayer and fasting. And there are situations that you'll fall into and you have to take drastic measures. These are weapons that can only ward off, listen, the darts, the flaming missiles of the unseen enemy. We fight not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and rulers of darkness of this world. Look at verse 10 again. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. It's all about Christ in me and Christ in you. You see, we don't see the battle. We don't see the battlefield. We don't see the opponents. I shared this story in the first service. Years ago, we had a a young lady, and she was coming to our church from Calvary Chapel uh, in Albuquerque. She had a burden in her heart to be a missionary in Tibet. If you know anything about Tibet, it's very, uh, the spiritual realm is there, the demonic spiritual realm is there. And so she started reading, she started searching, she started praying. And she felt in her heart that God said, I want to use you in Tibet as a missionary. She was a nurse in her trade. She had gone to school, and she had become a nurse. And she thought, I can use this in Tibet. And so she took some missionary classes and such. And so she came to our church, and we got to meet her, and we basically fell in love with her. She was just a sweetheart. Her name was Erlinda, and she was just a little woman. Probably four foot uh, eleven. If if she was five foot, that was enough. And and she was nice and just a thin woman, just everything. And yet God was going to use her. And I mean, uh, we shook our head. You're going to go to Tibet. And she prayed. She sought the Lord. And she went several times. She probably went about six times. I'm not sure exactly. But in her travels to Tibet, she got some parasites. And They've embedded in her body, in her liver, and she's not the same no more. The doctor's here. Uh, she's gone to every doctor. They can 't do anything. And she's just basically run down, she 's tired all the time, she takes a lot of medication, and basically she doesn't go to the mission field anymore. But she still prays for Tibet. But I remember when she came the second, third time, and we let her speak and such, and it was a Wednesday night. So we went out, got a bite to eat, a cup of coffee and such. And my wife and I sat with her and we were sharing. And I asked her, so what is it like in Tibet? And she says, I do a lot of praying. I do a lot of fasting. And she says, God gave me a vision. And the Bible speaks of visions and dreams. And God showed her a highway from Albuquerque, New Mexico, all the way to Tibet. Now, we, we think about a highway and there should be trucks there should be cars there should be buses etc but in this highway all she saw was the demonic realm going back and forth from tibet to albuquerque and albuquerque to tibet she knew that she was in a battle and she knew what she was up against and the enemy tried everything and his power to knock her down and physically she had to quit She could not do it anymore. She asked God for healing, and God seemed to close the door. And so she recognized the spiritual warfare. And so church this morning, we need to know our enemy. And I want you to turn to this last passage. Go with me to Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 through 12. Satan is thrown out of heaven. You see, he was a a created being. He was an angelic being. Now, many believe that Michael the archangel, Gabriel the archangel, Gabriel's the messenger, Michael's the combatant. Many believe that Lucifer was the third archangel. According to Ezekiel chapter 28, he was in charge of the music in heaven. And could it be that we have the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and so we should have three ranking angels. I'm just throwing that out, uh, that he was the third archangel. But it fits. But the enemy Lucifer, according to Isaiah chapter 14, he said, I can do God's job better. And it's called the five I wills of Lucifer. And five times he says, I will take God's throne, basically. I'm paraphrasing. And God says, no. And he was cast out of heaven. And so here's the story. And look at Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. And they did not prevail, nor was the place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out. That serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world, and he was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now go up to verse 4, and verse 4 says that the dragon uh, took his tail, and he took a third of the stars with him. These are the angelic beings. So a third of the angels followed Lucifer. And so it says here in verse 9, Who deceives the whole world, he was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Verse 10 goes on. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength, and the kingdom of, and the kingdom of our God, and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of the brethren. This is this dragon. This is Lucifer. This is Satan. What did we say? The word diabolos is the, he's the accuser. He is the slanderer. Here it says specifically, he's the accuser of the brethren who, who accused them before God and day and night, and he was cast down. Verse 11 says, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony, and they did not love their lives to, or they did not love their lives to the death. Therefore, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you, having a great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Here's the book of Revelation being written. I'm just going to use the terminology, Uh, you know, 2,000 years ago. We can say 1,900 years ago. And he says it's a short time. And here we are today, 2007. How close are we? And look at the things the enemy's doing. Some of us that grew up, uh, you know, in the 60s, we can't believe some of the sin that's out there. Some of the things that are being done today, uh, you know, uh, some of the things that we did were so simple in comparison to what they do today. But it's still sin in the eyes of God. And so, know our enemy." I want to give you some names here, and then I'm going to give you some verses. But we need to know our enemy. He is known as the devil. And we translated that, the accuser, the slanderer. He's known as Satan. He's known as the adversary. We saw here in Revelation 12, he's known as the dragon. He's known as the serpent. He's known as the snake. Now here's some verses. In Matthew 4, 3, he is called the tempter. In Matthew 12, 24, he is called Beelzebub. Now the Greek word for Beelzebub, listen to the translation. He is the God of dung, small g. In Matthew 12, 28, he is called the strong man. And so understand that he has power, that he has might. Again, go back to Jude, verse 9. The Lord rebuke you, Michael said. In John chapter 8... Uh, verse 44, we studied that earlier. He is called the liar and the father of lies. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 2, he is called the prince. In the translation there, he is the chief prince uh, of the fallen angels. This is one of my favorites. It always spoke to me. In 1 Peter 5, 8, he is called a lion. The reason it spoke to me is because I heard a preacher years ago. He is a roaring lion and he wants to come against you. But the old preacher said, "But don't worry, he is toothless, but he'll try to gum you to death. And that's the truth. So in 1 Peter 5:80, it's called a lion. In Genesis chapter three verse one, and Revelation chapter twelve verse nine, we just read that he is called the serpent. In 2 Corinthians chapter eleven verse fourteen, he is called the angel of light. We mentioned that earlier. In Second Corinthians four four, he is called the God, small g, of this age. In Revelation nine eleven, he is called the angel of the bottomless pit. In Revelation nine eleven again, he is also called in the Hebrew Abaddon which means destroying angel. In Revelation 9:11. again, he is called in the Greek Apollyon, and that means destroyer. In Isaiah chapter 14, you need to study it, we see, as we read earlier, the five I-will's of Lucifer. I mean, basically, he had a position uh, in heaven. He was, uh, I believe, a ranking angel. And God was using him. According to Ezekiel chapter 28, he was in charge of the music in heaven. But there in Isaiah 14, he says, I can do a better job than God. It's called the five I wills of Lucifer. He's the anointed cherubim in Ezekiel chapter 28. But according to Revelation chapter 12, he's the fallen angel. And his tail as the dragon took a third of the angelic realm. And that's what we call the demonic realm. And yet we have people today that say it doesn't happen. I don't believe in hell. I don't believe in demons. I I, I don't believe. And they're trapped. All these things happen because they just happen. The enemy is real. The enemy is ruthless. The enemy went to, uh, to God about our brother Job. And God gave permission for the enemy to touch Job, but not to take his life. And the Bible says that Job lost everything. And Job's wife says, curse the God that you serve. And Job says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Naked I came into the world, naked I'll leave. And then God blessed Job again. Now, we spoke about uh, the hedge. You study that in the book of Job, chapters 1 and 2. There was a hedge that uh, protected, and God allowed that hedge to come down. My prayer (laughs) in a daily basis, Lord, reinforce that hedge. Keep that enemy away. And so we're fighting a battle, church. Know it.